If your friend has made a health decision and has lost 20 kilos and he's moved from a, a junk food processed diet to a paleo diet, you should be giving him the world of positivity and, he, and, and talking about how good it is that he's cut out processed food and don't be like, oh, but you'd be better if you went mm. vegan and this and that. Definitely don't shame them. Like don't within my household, like when I first, I, when I first went vegan, I just went off the deep end. Like I was just all in, you know, and for my wife, she was a little bit sort of eased into it a bit more and she would make a really positive change. She'd be like, oh, you know, I, I made this little change. And I'd be like, that's really great, honey. You know, but next time you can do this and it'll be even better. And she once said to me, like, I just feel like I'm never good enough for you because you're just constantly giving me another carrot and I'm just constantly chasing the carrot. Just honour what I've done and yeah. let me do it in my own time. That's Jeremy Butler. And this, and this. is The Proof Podcast. Hello, plant friends. Thank you for tuning in. This is the very, very first question and answer episode on the Plant Proof Podcast. It's a format that I've been wanting to to get out there and I'm super pumped about this. I've taken 20 of the 20 or around 20 of the top questions, the most common questions that I get sent. And I've been fortunate enough to have good good friend of mine, Jeremy Butler, who has been on the Plant Proof Podcast Previously, he's put his hand up to to ask me each of these questions and then together we we have some open discussion around them. We talk about things like what is the ultimate vegan food pyramid? You know, what what are the main foods we should be concentrating on? What is the ideal macronutrient split? Where do you get protein on a plant-based diet and how much do we need? What are antioxidants? How do they help us? What foods are they in? We talk about the best, the best way to fuel yourself pre and post workout. We talk about whether we take protein, what we think of protein. We talk about soy, we talk about omega-3s. We talk about iodine, iron, lots of, lots of supplement talk. And we talk about the meals for plant-based meals for encouraging children to eat more plants, talk about traveling and plain food. And we talk about fasting. We talk about social situations and how to handle anyone who is who is negative towards the way you're eating or veganism in general. We talk about longevity and we talk about some of our favorite resources so that you can go away and continue to educate yourself on the topics we speak about and a plethora of other topics. So I hope you enjoy this new format. I hope you take something away from it. And again, thank you very much for tuning in. If you have any further questions for future Q&A episodes, please send them to me on social media, on Instagram at plant underscore proof, or shoot me an email, simon at plantproof.com. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor 
or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750mg of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2 to 3 pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. There has been an, an enormous amount of questions sent in recently. So today we have a very special question and answer session with the one and only Jeremy Butler, who was on the show recently, the amazing calisthenics guru, plant-based warrior, ninja warrior from Adelaide. Jeremy, welcome to the Q&A. Simon, it is great to be back. I can't wait to get stuck into this tsunami of questions that we have or that you have had come through. And I'm sure many plant-based people and vegan people have faced a lot of these questions and had these questions. So hopefully we can do some real rubber meets the road kind of progress for people today and some good stuff. So the format that we're going to follow for this session is fairly, fairly unplanned. We, we've got a number of questions. We, we'll try and keep them in an order which makes sense jumping from one topic to the next. And we're, we're setting ourselves around around a three minute limit just to prevent us from waffling on too much. So let's just get stuck into it. I am known to be a rambler when it comes to talking and we we really do. So I'm, I'm even doing it now. Let's get straight into it, Simon. So I'm going to start by asking you question number one. What would you say is the ultimate vegan food pyramid? How would you describe that? What does it look like? So I'll 
preface this with a a quick understanding that vegan obviously is a very broad, broad term. And the ideal food pyramid would exclude processed food. So my pyramid that I'm going to describe here will be a whole food plant-based pyramid. We'll start at the bottom of the pyramid. So that's the chunkiest part, which should make up the bulk of your plate. You would have heard me say that the Western diet, unfortunately, the protein has become the star of the plate. In the ideal vegan plate, the fruit and vegetable will make up the bottom of the pyramid and should really be the focus of what you're building your meal around. What's in those fruits and vegetables, Simon, that means that they go at the bottom? Why have you put them there? Okay, because these things are giving you the best bang for your buck. They are nutrient-dense, so that means for the calories that you're ingesting, you're getting loads of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, polyphenols, these nutrients which are helping your all the cellular reactions and helping your body really thrive and feel energetic at a cellular level. And the types of foods, just to make this a bit more practical, are from a vegetable point of view, you know, focusing on those cruciferous vegetables, broccolis, cauliflowers, broccolini, things like that. And then all your dark leafy greens, they're super important. Kale, bok choy, spinach, beetroot greens, mustard greens, things like that, focusing on a diversity of vegetables. So not just every single night feeding yourself or your kids just spinach, mix it up. Every time you go to the market, local market, or you go to the grocery store, mix it up. Variety of vegetables is super important from a balanced point of view in terms of vitamins and minerals, but also in terms of a gut microbiome point of view. I'm waffling. So let me move quickly just to this. So I'd just like to say you've done that because you are putting a bias or you're putting extra weight on the nutrient density of the food rather than the calorie density of the food. So you're putting those foods at the bottom because they're full of nutrients, bang for your buck, as you said. So as we, I mean, you can't just eat nothing but with no calories all day. So you've got to get your calories and your proteins and things somewhere. So what's above them on the food pyramid as we move up? Where are you going to get so your So above, above your fruits and vegetables, the next layer would be unrefined grains. Yep. And, and this is a layer that is made up of things like oats, quinoa, amaranth, brown rice or, or any type of rice. So we're talking carbohydrates here. Carbohydrates, but carbohydrates. Whole carbs. Carbohydrates that are not processed. And what that means is that along with these carbohydrates, you're getting dietary fiber, you're getting other nutrients. They're packed with, these are packed again with vitamins and minerals. So again, bang for bark, you're getting clean carbohydrates. That's what clean carbohydrates is. It's, it's giving you a fuel source, but in addition to the fuel source, you're getting fiber, you're getting you know, all these micronutrients, again, helping you to thrive. Above this layer is... It's time to get into the protein. It's time to get into the protein, ladies and gentlemen. And it, it, you, know, you'll, you, you may be fascinated that the protein's not the first layer and it shouldn't be. So now the, the layer above the unrefined grains is your beans, seeds, plant milks, nuts. So... Think about all, all of your legumes. This is lentils, chickpeas, kidney beans, black beans, your seeds, so pumpkin seeds, hemp seeds, all your nuts, walnuts, almonds, cashews, pine nuts. And it's also important to remember that all of the things below them on the food pyramid are actually full of protein as well. Not in the same distillation or not in the same balance, but 
your oats, your your wheat or your your grains, sorry, they've all got protein in them. Spinach is full of protein. So everything on that pyramid's actually got protein in it. So having this big focus on protein at the top, we don't need to be so concerned about it because that's where everyone gets their protein on a plant-based diet. And and on this layer, not only uh, is this, you know, the legumes and all the nuts and seeds providing you with the protein that you need, but you're also getting all of the healthy fats. So those omega-3s, that buzzword of omega-3s, you're getting those in abundance in this layer. And it takes me to the to the top, top layer. A little tiny triangle at the top, hey? Yeah. So that's where your processed stuff sits up, up the very, very top. And that's, that's where processed oils would sit. So you're much better to look for your fats from a whole food source as opposed to a tablespoon of olive oil or a tablespoon of avocado oil. You'd be much better having avocado than you would having avocado oil. And the reason for that is it's a whole food. So along with the, the fat, in, in eating the avocado, you're getting folate, you're getting fiber. Yep. More bang for your buck. And it's coming in in that balance that nature has intended. So in that there's certain whole plant foods that you wouldn't want to have in big excess. Like you wouldn't want to be eating a, a lot, a lot, a lot of nuts because if you don't want to get a lot of fats and seeds, things like chia and flax, you know, if you eat those in, in huge quantities, then they need to be eaten in balance and understand that they are bringing some really good um, nutrition to you, but you're not, like you said, just having tablespoons of oil without having everything that's designed to come in with that in balance. The only thing that I would comment is, you know, in some circumstances, in addition to the food pyramid there, there may be requirement for certain supplements. We'll move on to that in another question. Yeah, just the final bit of this question that we've got in our note here is what would you say is your ideal macronutrient split? Because we know a lot of yeah. a lot of fitness conscious people are, are concerned of their macros. So macronutrients are basically your mixture of protein, fats, and carbs, which are the three main sort of nutrient groups. What would you say, Simon, is yeah. the perfect mix or a great mix? I think, yeah, I mean, if we look at just the dietary guidelines and it's funny because the dietary guidelines actually match up quite nicely, pretty closely with, you know, the longest living populations in the world. And these, this dietary guidelines for macronutrients sits at around 60% of your, your calories from carbohydrates, and a maximum of 25% of your calories from protein. For most people, that's probably sitting lower, even 15 to 20% from protein. And the remaining sort of 10 or 20%, 20% definitely on the upper side would be from fat. And if you're eating a balanced whole food plant-based diet, you're almost just naturally achieving that. Yeah, it's hard to go wrong. It's really hard to go wrong. And that's the best part about it. Once you do balance out the diet and you understand that, that healthy food pyramid and you're not eating processed foods because the processed foods is what throws that out of whack. Exactly. It's, it's when you're ripping... If you're ripping carbohydrates out of a food or you're adding in, potentially adding in a heap of carbohydrates in a refined sugar form, you're throwing that out of whack. Yeah. And there's got to be room in every food pyramid for a little bit of indulgence or a bit of a treat. But, you know, the, the, the whole food plant-based world is not without its treats. I don't know if you eat a fresh medjool date or you have a nice glass, cup of blueberries, you know, fresh, like there's some really big treats out there. Mango, you know. You really shouldn't be asking the question of where you're going to get your treats because it's some of the most delicious food 
in the world. So let's move on. We didn't, didn't do too badly there. We've covered two or three questions there. So I'm going to move on to this next one. What are antioxidants and what foods are rich in them? So an antioxidant typically is a type of vitamin and it will, it will help your body balance out unstable molecules that if left alone could wreak havoc in your body. Free radicals. Free radicals. So if they're left alone, they could end up causing, you know, a serious problem, could where cause disease. Get, where do you get, where do free radicals come in? Toxins, toxins in the environment. So a lot of, we, we're in contact with a lot of toxins and that could be through the cosmetics we're using. I mean, our skin is a, is a huge organ of a permeable organ where things enter our body. It could be from uh, a scent through, uh, you know, you you could be working with paint. Um, it could be from unhealthy eating habits. Absolutely. That would probably be the biggest place that <laughs> it comes in. There's, there's, a, there's a load of ways that you can build up toxins in your body. And the thing is, if you're healthy eating and you're eating antioxidants, and I know you're coming to the next question, where do you get them in your diet? These, these antioxidants are nature's way of detoxifying your body. And there's probably been, been no greater time in human history for actually ingesting antioxidants given how many toxins we're faced with on an everyday basis. And not every toxin is coming into your body, like you said, from a, from a, a, a bad source. You can get free radicals coming in from exercise. If you do a really big workout and your, your whole body gets flooded with free radicals from the trauma that you have put your tissue and your muscles through. And so antioxidants, they're just such an important thing to have in your food because it's really one of the best ways to, to combat that free radical um, response that your body can have, whether you've in- ingested them or whether if you've produced them through your activities. So antioxidant-rich foods, let's, uh, let's go through Look, them. I think a, a key thing here, we, we know berries are, are rich in antioxidants, but I would say look for bright colored fruits and vegetables. The skin color, usually if it's a really bright color, it is antioxidant-rich. Eat the rainbow. Eat the rainbow. And, you know, it's, it's important to note, obviously, berries, so blueberries, raspberries, goji berries, blackberries, mulberries, the list goes on. Eat, eat them seasonally, whatever's in season. It's great to rotate them, buy them fresh or frozen. It doesn't matter. They all contain antioxidants. Obviously, if, if you're buying organic, that's fabulous. There's no pesticides. If you're buying conventional, that's also great. Just give them a, a bit of a wash. Try and reduce the amount of toxins on there to give you maximum bang for your buck in terms of uh, removing toxins from your body. And then outside of your berries, all the other colorful fruits, carrots, things like that. Leafy greens. Leafy greens. Don't leave out the leafy greens, kale, spinach, all those things. So many antioxidants. This is a good time to bring up question seven, fresh versus frozen. So let's talk berries. Where do you sit on the whole fresh berries versus frozen berries? I say that if it's a, the difference between you getting them in your diet or not, then it doesn't matter. If, if you can't access fresh berries that are affordable, we can't access fresh berries that are like staying fresh for long enough. You know, I, I quite often have raspberries and like after a day or so, they don't look so fresh. There's mold growing on them. So for that reason, I buy frozen berries all the time. And that's because they're easier to incorporate I keep them in the freezer. They're cheaper. So I think don't stress too much on fresh or frozen. Work out what works with your budget. 
what is local to you and accessible and what you're going to include in your diet and, and adhere to most. Yeah, frozen berries, they are a massive staple in our house, especially with kids like my little kids. I've got two kids under under six and they just love their frozen berries. I'll just, I can literally give them a bowl of them and they'll just sit there and, and eat them like they're eating, you know, lollies. They absolutely love them and you can, you can put them into your smoothie. It cools it down summer day. You can make ice cream with the banana and ice cream full of berries. Like they're just such a, like frozen berries are such a convenient source and, and they're, they're, they're snap frozen at the source. They're generally sometimes fresher than, like you said, than the ones you actually will get free and they're so much cheaper. So don't be afraid of frozen berries. Get them in. They're such an important food source. So let's move on to eight. Foods for pre-workout and post-workout. So we're going back into the yeah. fitness sort of side of things here. What, like you work out quite a lot, done a few sessions with yeah. you this weekend, you know, you go hard. How do you fuel the gains, bro, before and after you work out? So I think, I mean, there, there's some science behind the answer here, but also some personal preferences, I guess. So not necessarily what I do is not the same as the next person that trains in the gym and you get to know your own body and you get to understand what is the best way for you to prepare before a session in terms of energy and getting the most out of your session. So first and foremost, if I'm giving, my advice is not hard and fast, test and learn. But from my experience in terms of what, what I would optimally like to do is to not eat a big heavy meal right before a workout. Absolutely. Now I'm, I'm currently, you know, having, I've been traveling, my, my gym routine was thrown out a bit. I probably wasn't eating as well and routinely as I normally would have. As a result, I'm probably not in the condition that I, you know, I like to keep my body in. So I'm trying, trying. That's to, scary. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, wow. I'm trying to just, you know, slightly step things up. And it, when you're eating more, it means, it, may, it means for me that sometimes now I am eating a slightly bigger meal before gym. But my ideally is I'm not eating a big meal 90 minutes before a workout. And why is that, Simon? Clarify it for me. Why would it not be advisable to have well, a meal before? Di- digesting a, a meal is an energy-using... Um, Quite a heavy energy-using energy system. System, right? So if, if I'm focusing on trying to channel all of my energy into performing an exercise... I would rather to have more energy available and that's as simple as it is. And then, you know, like we spoke about before, when you finish your workout, you're incredibly hungry. It's easy to add a little bit more to your plate. So as far as a pre-workout, like we don't want to get too scientific here, but you, what do you want to have in your body to try and fuel a really good workout? I would be going for more of like a clean carbohydrate source. Mm, glucose. That, glucose. Glucogen. Glycogen. Glycogen, right? That can be easily used. So, you know, not, not a really complex fatty style meal. Yeah. So for me, that looks like, you know, I might have a handful of red grapes. I might have, um, I might have some watermelon and maybe like I sometimes have a coffee, like a couple of short blacks or something just to try and get a little bit of a kick, the energy kick there. But you really don't want to be eating like, you know, two pieces of bread and a banana and, a, and two tablespoons of peanut butter or something. Like, I mean, if you, you could have that a few hours before and it will assimilate sort of by the time you get there and you'll be nice and full, ready to, and it depends on your, your goal and depends on your training. So if you're wanting to run a marathon, well, then you need to get a whole lot of glucose into your body because, you know, you're going, and you're going to have to top up while you run. But if your goal is to do like a, a high intensity interval training workout or a CrossFit workout or 
a bar workout, you want to have a, a really solid 30 to 45 minutes. You don't want your body being being held back by, you know, a stomach full of of heavy, dense food. But let's move into post-workout. So, you know, you've had your big workout, you're in the famed anabolic window, and it's time for you to fuel the rig. So what are you putting in? Let's go back to the food pyramid. So I think keep it simple. My 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 meal after a workout, it might be it might be slightly bigger, right? But I still will stick to the basic principles of the food pyramid. And the cleaner, so the less processed your food is, the more nutrient dense it is. You know, we've said before, working out is stressful. So what a great time to have a very antioxidant rich. Exactly. Make sure those vegetables are in there. And it's it's it it can't be a meal that's just like let's focus on protein being the star of the plate. You need something that's going to help you recover and help you deal with that stress. So my meal typically after a workout, if I'm having like a savory meal, I could well have a bowl, a Buddha style bowl. It might have lots of green vegetables, brown rice, some legumes, whether that's in a soy form. We're going to talk about soy shortly, no doubt. It could be, it could be soy based, it could be edamame, it could be chickpeas, it could be black beans. There's going to be some seeds on there, probably hemp seeds or maybe some pumpkin seeds, pepitas. And that just sounds like a really clean source of fuel because if you have a really rich meal, if you say you douse it in olive oil and it's really heavy and rich, your, your body's only got a limited amount of time to really assimilate that meal in that window. And you've got an absorption sort of window and your muscles are just hungry for that nutrition. And so if you want to just send it in some pure, clean sort of fuel and that's going to as i said cancel out that antioxidant damage or that that free radical damage to an extent it's going to give your muscle all the aminos all the things that you need to get at that period will just be coming in in a clean source and you could do a lot worse than eating that after a workout so that's an excellent bit of advice if you've tuned in to the many episodes i've done focusing on cardiovascular disease the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. 
I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. So another quick question, which sort of links into this one, do you take or should you take protein powder and how often? Okay. So th- this will be different for every, everyone who's listening, but ideally after a workout, I will eat a meal like we just spoke about. Okay. And in that meal, in, inevitably there will be 25 to 30, maximum 40 grams of protein. And that's through those whole foods, right? So I personally, when I look at it, I think, okay, I need to nourish my body after a workout. If you're just having a protein shake and you may, even if you put it with some plant milk or whatnot, protein powder is processed so that it doesn't contain all of those. It's not packed with all the micronutrients in its whole food form, right? As nature intended. So you're getting, yes, you're getting your protein and you might put some plant milk in with it, but it's kind of like almost like a hack towards getting that protein. It's not, it's not the healthiest option. So I will have a caveat there that it does serve a purpose from a convenience point of view. If you cannot, if you don't, if you can't access a really nutritious meal and you know that, okay, I I could in sort of four hours time, there is a time and a place to have a protein shake but don't base your or don't structure your diet around this sort of protein hack because you can consume enough protein, more than enough protein, which is another question from a, a whole food plant-based diet. And you'll, you'll, over the time, you will be getting way better bang for your buck and your body will be thriving more. So protein powder is not necessarily like going to be destructive to you in that sense. If you choose a really clean, like, you know, organic, plant-based protein powder, whether it be golden pea or, um, you know, all the different sort of hemp, hemp, hemp or all these different um, versions of protein. But it's really kind of a thing like I, I will occasionally have a protein shake after my workout, but it's mainly just based on what I've eaten for dinner so if, or what I'm having for dinner. So like my wife cooks dinner every night because she's amazing. And so- Shout out to Jess. Thanks. Shout out to Jess. Yeah. She's an, a great cook and she's awesome. But- so if I come in and my lovely wife has made me like a, you know, baked potatoes and I'm just like, oh, I've just done a big workout and I'd like to get a little bit more protein, I might have a protein shake with that meal just to try and bring the, the protein up because it, it will help me recover a bit better. And so, but if, you're, if your meal that you're about to eat, it's got like, like we said, those sauces or, and, and you don't even need to have the protein. If you 
you could just add a can of chickpeas to your smoothie or half a can or whatever. And if that's, that's kind of the same thing. And like you said, it's coming in that, that, you know, that health or naturally defined balance and your body will, will benefit from that. So speaking of protein, plant-based protein, we've alluded to this already, soy, soy. Now is soy healthy and who should avoid it? If any, the, probably the most common question that I would get is on how, where do you get your protein in a, in a plant-based diet? And the second one, or if not the first is, you know, is soy going to give me man boobs? Is it going to cause, <laughs> is it going to cause? No one wants them. No one wants, no one. No one wants and, those gains. And, and I mean, that question may even be coming from the, the guy's uh, girlfriend, you know, is, is soy going to give my, my boyfriend man boobs? He's worried about it. And you know what? I don't blame anyone for having these fears. These fears have been built in society from you know, a lot of marketing. There's a lot of marketing against soy. That's a, that's a separate question. But if we look at the science, the hard science on soy, forget the marketing, right? The, the only people that should be concerned with soy is anyone who has hypothyroidism. So if that's like a, a sluggish thyroid, you know, their metabolism's slowing down. They're probably gaining weight. They're probably feeling fatigued. And you will know if you have that because you have most likely been diagnosed with it from your doctor or anyone who has an iodine deficiency. Iodine works to, uh, with the thyroid to help create optimal metabolism. If you suffer from iodine deficiency or have hypothyroidism, you should be working with your medical practitioner to correct that, to, to make sure you are on top of that first before introducing soy into your diet. And that is simply because soy acts in a way it can affect the thyroid only if you have a hypothyroid or you have deficiency in iodine for your everyday person, everyday person. So the majority of people that are listening, the only studies that have shown a negative effect on soy have been from subjects who have consumed 14 20 serves of soy per day. So let's put that into perspective. We spoke about it before. There are so many foods out there that if you had 14 to 20 times a day, we would see negative effects. What happens if you have 14 cups of milk a day? Absolutely. <laughs> what happens if you This had- is a great example. This is a great example, ladies and gentlemen, of what can happen when science goes off into the weeds a little bit. You know, you see the headline, the headline says, new study shows that soy is detrimental. And then you, you get the actual study and you realize that clearly had an agenda because they've given these people 14 to 20 serves of soy. I mean, how many serves of soy would the average vegan plant-based eater be eating? I'd say how many I would have a day. I'd probably have three or four, if that. So I might have a bit of soy milk in my coffee. I might have some, some tofu with my dinner, two or three serves. That would be all I'd have. What about you? I would have, yeah, maybe tofu once a day. I don't, I don't have a lot of soy milk because I love almond milk. So one, maybe twice a day maximum. Now let's talk about an extremely compelling bit of defense for the poor old soybean. A little place called Okinawa. So they're a blue zone. They're a famous blue zone. And they were eating a lot of soy and they were living for hundreds of years. Of not hundreds of years, up to a hundred. So 
why weren't they all dropping dead from, from the dangers of soy? And it has been theorized that they had very, very healthy functioning thyroids. Back to that, if you have a healthy functioning thyroid, soy is fine. Why did they have great functioning thyroids? They had they have diets that are very rich in iodine. So they're not developing these iodine deficiencies. Going back to that, if you do have hypothyroidism or an iodine deficiency, I want to make it clear that you should go to your general practitioner, perform the, the required testing, whether that's blood testing or not, correct that first before you're adding soy into your diet. People that do have hypothyroidism can still have soy in their diet, but you may need to dial it back. And that'll be a discussion that you'd have with your general practitioner just on soy. We've spoken about the Okinawan population, but it's also worth talking about the fact that there are some clinical studies that have actually shown, shown soy to be beneficial and that it has reduced the rate of prostate cancer and breast cancer in certain, in certain populations. You've got to take the balance of science, don't you? And um, the Blue Zones, that study was done a while ago and they were eating really clean sources of soy, like really organic. What, let's have a quick talk about GMO soy. Is that, yeah. a, is that a threat? Is that a problem in uh, look, human diet? I would, I would say, I'll put my hand up and say that I'm, I'm not educated enough to tell you that GMO soy is going to cause you a long-term health problem. And I don't think the studies have been done on a population saying, here, eat GMO soy and let's see what happens, right, over a 50-year period. I don't think we know that. I think we understand that genetically modifying a soybean and allowing it to be resistant to herbicides, right, allowing it to be resistant to say like a Roundup that, you know, glyphosate mm. potentially means that on those plants you're ingesting, you, you may be ingesting more herbicides and pesticides, which is probably not a good thing, right? I think we understand that. But luckily in Australia, at least, and, and most countries around the world, you can find a soy in all the supermarkets or pretty much all of the soy is organic soy. It says on the packet, non-GMO. So- and let's just, let's just bookend this with me asking you one last question. Who is eating all the GMO soy that's grown well, in this world? <laughs> well, that's the funniest thing. You, you, it ain't you know, humans. You're, as, a, as, as, a, as a vegan, a plant-based person. There's a lot of GMO soy planted you know, around I'm, the world. I'm quite often hit with, oh, you know, but soy, it's genetically modified. How can you eat that? And I mean, the, the, the funny thing is that you know, 90 plus percent or probably most of it, if not all of it, of genetically modified soy is being fed to cattle, which is then in their feedlots, which is then being eaten by humans. So let's, let's just, let's wind that. Yeah, let's soy move on up. to our next question. But I will just, just as a, a final point, like everything else we're talking about, just eat it in moderation. Yep. And it's a really um, good plant food for someone who's on a plant-based diet because it's, you know, tofu, tempeh, all these things, soy milk, I'm a, I love soy milk, yeah, soy ice creams, you know, don't go overboard, but, you know, they're, and they're a little bit processed, they're not necessarily whole foods, but, you know, they serve a purpose and, and, and there's no can, need to be fearful of them. And, and, and you can... You I know. haven't grown any man boobs just yet, I'm not sure. <laughs> you make some fun things, like I think um, it was last week I made, you know, a, a chili sort of tofu mayonnaise, it, they're versatile and there's different types, there's, there's hard tofu, there's smoked tofu, there's silken tofu. Yep. So we're going through some of the, the, big, the big food sources here. Let's move on to omega-3s. So we're sort of starting to get into the supplementation question here. 
what supplements should plant-based eaters think about? Okay, so let's let's start from the supplement that everyone on a on a 100% plant-based diet is advised to take. So in terms of of looking at that food pyramid and if you have a really balanced diet and a healthy functioning body which is absorbing everything because we're not what we eat, we are essentially what we absorb. So I will that's an important thing to say that if we look at that food pyramid the only essential nutrient that you will not be getting that you should supplement is vitamin B12 if you have a, a, a thriving body that is absorbing everything. And the reason that vitamin B12 is not in that food pyramid and that you won't be getting it is in this day and age, our vegetables are, are so clean and they're clean to prevent us from, from getting cholera, cholera, other diseases. So that's been done to to sort of wipe out this exposure to certain diseases and pathogens. Pathogens, right? So we historically people would have had vitamin B12 in their diet from eating sort of dirty vegetables with soil and whatnot on them. And dirty water. And dirty water. So the the vitamin B12 can be easily supplemented. It's something that I have every single morning. It comes in a few different forms and you know, different people recommend different different types of vitamin B12. I think if we just, if I was going to advise just based on the science and the clinical studies that have shown which B12 can reverse deficiency and can prevent deficiency is cyanocobalamin. And that's a, that's a vitamin B12 form, which is synthetic, but is easily absorbed is available everywhere. It's inexpensive. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it at any of your local um, health food shops and you can buy it in a spray form. So you don't have to have uh, a tablet, a veggie capsule, which is you know potentially sitting in your body for a while. You can do it in a spray form, very easily absorbed. I'm not going to suggest a brand, but most of them are sort of 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams in terms of serving. Have it once a day. And if there's a, the, the only caveats here are there is another form called methylcobalamin. It is recommended if you're a smoker or you have kidney disease that methylcobalamin is the preferable option for you. Everyone else, cyanocobalamin and test, blood test. So if you've just moved to a plant-based diet, I actually always recommend that people get a baseline test at the start. But a good thing to do is to do test, do a test sort of six months later, and then you can probably move to a yearly type of test. Keep an eye, you're keeping an eye on everything, but by by doing that, you'll just ensure that you actually are absorbing that form of B12 you're supplementing with. And that's just a, a nice way to be really confident in what you're doing. And B12 plays such an important role in so many systems in the body, especially in, you know, in the brain. So nervous system. not something you want to mess around with. So. No. And I think that's important, a really important point. If you're pregnant, or you're breastfeeding, it's it's even more important because it's it's very, very important for the growing baby. So that's the big one, B12. Yeah. Most every vegan would know about B12 and yeah. you know, responsibly we'll be taking it. So and we're gonna, what else do we we're gonna talk about some resources at the end. So I understand that if you're if this is sort of the first time that any of this has come up for you, this could be a little confusing. We'll give you some resources to go away with to to further read up on and you know, I really just encourage you establish a relationship, particularly if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, with a local, you know, nutritionist or doctor who is across this. And 
Sometimes we just listen to Simon, who is a absolute wealth of knowledge on some of these things, but he's just used a whole bunch of big words like methylcobalamin. Yeah. It might, you might be scared off a little bit and think, wow, this is so complicated. But at the end of the day, it's just a spray under the tongue once every, yeah. once every couple of days. So we're not talking about some crazy supplement scheme here. We're talking no. about some really simple things. But what else are we talking about? So I mentioned omega-3s. Is there yeah. any, any advice there? So omega-3s are, you know, have long been publicized as this, this uh, cardiovascular, you know, health-promoting miracle pill. And, you know, we, we see that from the fish oil industry, which is a billion-dollar industry. There's people popping fish oil tablets left, right, and center. They're, you see them on every single shelf. They're a huge export item that, you know, the Asians... Absolutely love them and but definitely buy all the Australian fish oil um, brands in bulk. The science and the jury, I guess, is out in terms of there's been like there's been a Cochrane review recently which has looked at at fish oil and omega-3s and does it actually reduce your chance of a, a cardiovascular event or increase your chance of life? And they came to the conclusion that it doesn't. That's not to say that having omega-3s in your body is is not healthy for other reasons and i think the the really important learning here is that omega-3s there's different types of omegas and there is omega-3s and there's omega-6s and if we look back over the years as the western diet has come into our lives our consumption of omega-6s has has gone up incredibly and it's changed the ratio of omega-6s to 3s in our body and so that we have way more omega-6s than we used to. And, you know, I personally think, and, and a lot of the, the sort of major cardiologists around the world, doctors are now really, the first step should be not really concentrating on supplementing omega-3, but it should be looking at your diet and lowering your omega-6s. And how do we do that? If you go back to that food pyramid that we spoke about and you're concentrating on a whole food diet, whole food diet. So you're not letting a lot of those processed foods and processed oils, seed oils, they're huge in omega-6s. You're not letting those into your diet. You're going to correct that ratio in the right way, which is first, rather than just a band-aid solution and jacking your omega-3s up, get the omega-6s down. And then how can we get healthy omega-3s into your diet from a, a whole food plant-based point of view? Because traditionally it would have been eating salmon. That's what everyone sort yeah. of thinks when they think of omega-3 is eating fish. Well, that's what the fish industry but, would like you to think, that it's the only source and it's the best source and that it's going to stop you having a heart attack, which is back to that Cochrane review, you know, has they've, they've sort of proven that it probably isn't helping cardiovascular disease. Now, in terms of though on a plant-based diet, getting your omega-3s and getting the required amount per day. So omega-3s are an essential fatty acid, which means that you do need to get them from your diet. The omega-3s in fish and in plants are slightly different. That's a scientific discussion. But from a practical point of view, and I do have a blog on that, which does explain a bit more about the science of the difference between omega-3s in fish and in plant-based foods. But from a practical level, to get enough omega-3s, you know, you've got foods like flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, Brussels sprouts, walnuts. Those five are loaded with omega-3s. There are more, but those are loaded with it. And it's as simple as getting one tablespoon of flax seed, two tablespoons of hemp seed in a day, across your day, and you've exceeded the amount of omega-3s you need. 
And that is how do we get those into our diets? I mean, you and I obviously eat a lot of hemp seeds and a lot of yeah. flax seeds. Where do we put it? We put so it in our smoothie. Put in smoothie, put your hemp seeds on any savory bowl. You can have some like sprouted toast with banana on it. Put hemp seeds on top of it. You barely, you don't even taste them. Do you know what a hemp seed even tastes like? Like I think they're delicious. It, it, I mean, <laughs> I love flax. Yeah, I have flax, flax seed on, has a little I have flax, flavor. But flax meal. I have flax meal on everything. That's a great seed's point. Seeds hard to absorb, but great the meal. Point. It's um when it, when it's been milled down, much more bioavailable. Hundred percent. Great point. When I said one tablespoon of flax and two tablespoons of chia. Uh, how would you be exceeding the amount of omega-3 that you need per day? That needs to be ground flaxseed. They have shown that whole, like whole flaxseeds are hard to absorb. If you go into a health food store, on the counter is bottles and bottles of flax oil. Flax oil is kind of viewed as a, a, a vegan omega-3 alternative. Why would you take the meal over the oil? You're getting more bang for your buck. Again, it's more nutrient-dense. More fiber, more, <laughs> fiber. more of everything. Yeah. It's how nature intended it. And you just use it slightly differently rather than using flax as an oil. You use flax as like a, a seasoning or a, well, not a seasoning, but you eat it as a meal and you can put it into, if you're making, if you're baking something, like if you're making your own bread, put a couple of tablespoons of flax meal in with it. It's really easy. So what about things such as, we've got to keep moving through these supplements. What about things such as iron and iodine, things like that? We've mentioned them a little bit. Yeah. So we need to be worried about those. So iron, um, again, there's some science behind the difference between iron in meat or from a, an animal product that is often termed as heme iron and iron from plants is non-heme iron. Now, you, you can definitely get enough iron in your diet from a plant-based diet. There, I've done a blog on this in terms of what foods you should be looking at and how you can enhance your iron absorption and also some things that might inhibit it. So from a top level, if we're looking at, so iron's in a lot of your dark green leafy yeah, give vegetables. give some examples. Dark, leaf, dark green leafy vegetables. It's also in beans. Legumes have, have iron. Seaweed. Um, Yep, seaweed, black um, molasses, kombu. Yeah, they, these things are loaded with iron. The the thing that I would say is, if you have done a blood test and perhaps you're you're a bit low in iron, and that's not you know ab- abnormal. A lot of people are iron deficient, whether they're on a plant based or a meat diet, and it can really depend on your gender. And it, you know, a lot more females are iron deficient, and it can depend on life where you are in your life cycle. Genetic makeup. It can as depend well. on your genetics, and it can depend on if you're pregnant and have a baby growing who's who's taking new stealing all your iron. <laughs> yeah, some stealing. Got a pregnant so, wife right now, and yeah, you got to got to keep an eye on it. So, the, what I would say is to definitely check out on 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 plantproof.com. Check out the iron blog because I've listed all the foods that are loaded in iron. I've, I've listed the recommended daily intake for different people of how much iron and then ways to increase it. But from a high level, you, you want to pair your iron rich foods with vitamin C rich foods. That might mean putting lemon or lime over the juice, over your beans and greens and things like that. Or it might mean pairing dried apricots, which are loaded in iron with strawberries. And just on the opposite side of that coin, what can inhibit the absorption? So the top things that will inhibit the absorption will be red wine, coffee, coffee, tea. So, so if you're waking up in the morning and having your coffee and having your uh, having your iron hot heavy breakfast, you know, 
might be might be struggling a little bit there. You gotta gotta be careful. You don't yeah. block your absorption. So Design's a tricky one in some in some respects. Probably, I think for the for the everyday person who has no issue with their iron, and this is why I recommend doing a baseline test and um, a test at six months when you first transition, and then yearly. If you have no issues with your iron, don't stress about it. Exactly. You know, keep keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it right, and your body is absorbing iron fine for your body, your size, your gender where you are in your life, your age, everything like that, and the demand you're putting on your body. But if you are low, think about what's inhibiting it. We just said those things. Have, have your coffee or have your tea or your red wine at least an hour either side of a meal that's rich in iron, and that will help you absorb more. And just be yeah, conscious. Get a blood test if you need to. Be informed. You know what we're doing, Simon? We're rambling. We said we were going to ramble. Let's move on to some real practical stuff now. We're going to get into some of the more practical questions. And this one here, top three plant-based meals that you can expect any child or kid to enjoy. Now, that can be one of the hardest challenges. I think the most of the questions that we got were about how can I get my kids or my teenager or this person to enjoy eating fruits and vegetables because it's not the traditional food that children sort of crave is it? So what can we do? What kind of things can we? Well, I, I'm going to put my hand up here and say that I, I have a fur baby, which is, fur baby. I have a, I have a dog. Um, I don't have any, any children myself, but the, the same principles apply and understanding taste buds certainly applies. So from my point of view, and I'd love to hear from your own personal experience, you've got two boys, another baby on the way. So you've got more, definitely have more actual personal experience on this than me. But if, if I would say what I've, what I've read and what I've advised other people and seen work is to look at, firstly, don't just try and put a meal in front of them that is so far removed from what they're used to eating that it's going to shock them. So I think with kids, you need to, you know, their personal preferences and meals that they love. So perhaps start by modifying a meal that they love and they love the flavor of. And it might mean that you're not, you're not moving it to a hundred percent plant-based meal at the start, but that's okay. Put it in a, a step in the right direction, add some more vegetables to the plate, work it in there, chop it up, mix it through the sauce. So you're, you know, in a way hiding it within that meal. And, you know, the research shows once you start eating a food, and even if it is blended into a smoothie or hidden into a meal, it might be mushrooms that they don't like on their own, that once they start eating them and their taste buds are exposed to them, they will start to develop an affinity, most people, where they can handle that food on its own. So I'd say be creative. Don't try, if they don't like a food, um, try and work it into a favorite meal. Exactly. It's got to be familiar. Like you can't expect children, and I can speak from experience here, you can't expect them to just you know, be salivating over a, a kale and bean salad. Like, you know, it's not, it's not what happens. So, you know, and, and if you have a child that's been really young and been plant-based from really young age, it's much easier. But if you're trying to sort of bring someone into eating more plants, you, you know, like you said, things like you have your whole wheat spaghetti bolognese and rather than putting mincemeat in there, you might put beans and you might put mushrooms and these sort of things and you just load it up with veggies put some grated zucchini in there put some carrots walnuts there, put some onions walnuts yeah put some oats just put it all in there and and if you know if they if they turn their nose up at it you know don't be hard on them don't force them to eat it just do their best and we have a rule in our house where they have to try everything once you know they have a they can't just turn those up as something 
if they don't like it. And it's not just not just pasta, but also things like, you know, maybe if like we spoke a bit about pizza, you can make you can make delicious pizzas. You know, we we make our own doughs and things, but that's a bit of a bit more of a hard work sort of thing. If we're talking about a really easy meal here, you know, say for breakfast, like my kids for breakfast have oats, have porridge. So we make porridge every morning and, you know, we load it up with raspberries. We load it up with blueberries. We put, I put the flax in there for them, for their omegas. I put um, walnuts on there. I put hemp seeds on it. You know, we stir it all up. It's got maple syrup on it. It's got cinnamon on it. I've got dates in it. It's, it's so delicious. They absolutely love it. You should see my son Harvey put away 60 grams of oats. <laughs> he just goes through them. And smoothies. Smoothies are like a treat. Like if you can, if you can give them a delicious smoothie with frozen fruit, pineapple, mango, oh, throw in some, and you can, that's the place where you can sneak some things in, like sneak in a little bit of, you know, nutrient density, sneak in some, some kale or some spinach or some spirulina or some, you know, matcha or maca or these kind of things, get some superfoods into them. And another thing that I think I'm getting carried away because this is, I'm really passionate about this, but it's really important to, to, bring them into the whole philosophy of it too. Like talk to them about what the food's doing to them. Strong food. Like if they ask a question or just say to them when they're drinking it, do you like that smoothie? Yeah, yeah, I love it. You know, that smoothie's really going to make you strong and healthy. And that smoothie, like you can just pick one ingredient and go, you know, that smoothie's got um got berries in it and, and blueberries are really good for your immune system to stop you getting sick, you know, so that's going to protect you really well. And like kids are drawn to health. Every kid wants to be healthy. Every kid wants to be the healthiest they can be. And if they know that what they're doing is good for their body, and then it teaches them as well to be drawn to those things. And then eventually, like when someone puts something that's maybe not so healthy in front of them, they'll think twice. They'll think, hmm, even though that's going to taste really good, it's not going to really align with my, my desire to be healthy. You know? And that's, that's sort of the pathway to mindfulness, consciousness around health and eating to break those bad habits because they'll always be. And like you said before, it might not happen right away. You might need to put a bit of Greek yogurt on their porridge to try and make it familiar or, you know, it, you've really got to, the goal is to increase the density of nutrition. And it's not about being perfect from day one because you might, you might just make it too hard and too distant to what they're used to. And the goal is not to be vegan. The goal is to be healthy and to be nutrient dense, putting your focus on what's in that food that's going to benefit them, you know, without the toxins, without the things that you don't want to, to go into your child. So that's a really good one. So try to make your, your, your plant-based food for your children just really recognizable, familiar, flavorsome, you know, if that means putting a pinch of salt on it, making it taste good, you know, and, and don't be hard on yourself or your kids. Just try to, you know, Bring them into the kitchen. Help them. Let them help you with the cooking. Let them pick their favorite fruits. If and, your child and lead loves, by example. Yeah, I know. You, like these these meals you're talking about, the smoothie, the oats, the pizza. You're eating with them. Absolutely. And you know, find the foods that they love. Like my son loves mango, so I'm just I buy him a mango whenever I can. So you know, it's, it's it, it don't. Just try to work with them on it. I think, I think we went over the three-minute limit on that one. That's definitely an important, important right, topic. So let's move on to things like, okay, so other areas that might be difficult, flying, traveling, on a plane. Yeah. What's your hacks for that? You travel a lot. Yeah, I do a lot. And I would say there's a couple of different approaches here. Luckily, luckily some of the flights now are catering for, for vegan or vegetarians. And with enough notice, you, you do need to make sure that when you check in, your flight and you set up your ticket that you 
Usually, you, it's funny, you have to click a button that says special meal. I still find it ironic. I think it should be the default meal, but the you have to click special meal and it comes out and they make a big fanfare about, oh, <laughs> yeah, we've got the special healthy meal. Who ordered the special? And I'm like, yeah, thanks for giving me the uh, the meal that's not going to- It's uh, like a big spotlight over your it's head. It's not going to kill me. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really like ticking that box because I just don't like the fanfare that goes with it and the attention and whatnot. I'm, you know, I like to-, I like to, to Keep a keep a sort of low profile. So what so what do you do then? Let's so, let's, let's, so what, let's keep this one. So what short I do, sharp. what I do is one of two things. I actually because I do enjoy a twenty four hour fast here and there, which I think might be most fasting is coming up. Yeah, be careful of the weeds up. on that one. We could yeah, go on for hours. We won't go jump up. too much into science, but I do enjoy a digestive system rest, and often I I I found that you know I feel really good and fresh when. I just fast on the plane ride and, and I get off and I'm at a new destination where I want to go and enjoy food. And it's actually quite refreshing to know that I've given my system a digestive rest. So I would say consider fasting. You, you know, you probably, probably will have wanted to do to have done some at least intermediate fasting to have, you know, got used to what it takes to do a 24 hour yeah, fast. You don't want to jump on a long <laughs> haul to the other side of the um, world. Because otherwise that's when people get hangry. But you know, you don't want to be hangry. You don't want to be hangry because there's a crying baby in the seat next to you, and you're hangry. And yeah, so if you are sort of experienced with fasting and you've got a 24 hour transit time, you know, flight or a couple of flights, you could use it as a great opportunity to to do a fast. Otherwise, and and this is probably what I do more so now. Is it sounds a little weird? I will at least prepare one decent meal for the plane. It's like a big, it's like a Buddha bowl that I'll take in my... So you're that guy who rips out the uh, Tupperware halfway through and that guy. leashes and, and how does your fellow cohorts on the plane look it, when they see it's, it's, this healthy, vital muscle man whip out his kale bean and, and spinach salad? I, I get looks, I get comments, I get comments. I get usually, you know, some, some, some guys sitting next to me or a woman will be like, geez, that looks good. What's in there? And, you know, I, I don't hold back that I, I, this probably goes against the whole keeping a low profile, but I make sure that these meals look so good. They look so good. And, and I do it for that reason, because they look over and they're like, oh, you are so prepared. And that looks so much better than my, that is some shifty marketing my, from you there, that looks buddy. so much better than my, you know, overly processed sausages or my um, flaccid egg white steamed salad that I'm prodding around and yeah. my piece of <laughs> the, the egg scrambled, scrambled egg powder mix or whatever. But you know, let's, Let's and you get off the plane at the other end and you feel fresh and you've just you haven't got some big rich meal and you haven't drank six or seven beers on the way. You just had a nice fresh and your holiday is off to a ripping start. Yeah. So that meal again, just go back to that food pyramid. But one that I just love for the plane is I bake a sweet potato before I go. I'll have that with a bit of quinoa, throw a heap of greens in, maybe some broccoli and kale, hemp seeds over the top. Maybe I've got like a little bit of hummus on there and some tofu. Yeah, you might want to might want to avoid the beans that, that can get a bit. Sometimes you can get a little bit touch and go there on the plane. It's a it's a closed environment, ladies and gentlemen. Just all right. So we we mentioned fasting. Let's go back to that. So what fasting is the big buzzword thing at the moment. It's happening a lot since um you know sixteen eight. What's your thoughts on fasting? And let's just let's just, let's not go off into the into the weeds too much here. But what are the benefits? Why should someone do it? And What's your experience? Let's keep it simple. So the, the, firstly, the science on fasting is by no means proven at a human level 
So there's no, no one can really give you a hard and fast. Conclusive this, this is the best way to fast. So let's just, let's just preface it with that. But what we are seeing with fasting are there are some, some benefits that, you know, from, from my studies and, and also from anecdotal experience that you can get. And these, the first one is potentially a default of just eating through a shorter window is being in a calorie deficit. So people can experience some weight loss. So if that's a goal, then fasting may be of benefit to you. Um, the second one is you're getting a, a rest of your digestive system. So, you know, you, you do, your stomach, I mean, we we're speaking about it before, but typically we think that we, you know, we sleep sort of seven, eight hours a night. You think you're getting a seven, eight hour rest of your digestive system, but you're forgetting that the last meal that you ate is probably moving through for sort of three or four hours. Even longer, it's probably more like six. six simulating hours. your digestive right. system's working. So you might only get two, three, four hours rest. You wake up, like in terms of your stomach, you're waking up and you're putting in your breakfast or break fast, which is not a long window of rest. And that period when you've, when you've assimilated the whole meal, so let's say, you know, two or three in the morning, it's finally gone all the way through and your body gets this nice rest. And it's detoxing and it's cleansing, cleaning house a little bit. If you, the, 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 uh, the rationale behind 16 8 fasting is that you stretch that window out. So you stretch that sort of fasting window out from, say, eight hours of sleeping to 16 hours right through to lunch, for example. So, and you use the word detoxing. So that's what's essentially. So the first thing I said was calorie restriction in terms of being a benefit of fasting, which is essentially just a default of not being able to eat as much food in a shorter window. Second one is you're giving your body that time to remove toxins. Now, when we spoke about this before, if we looked at sort of a spectrum, that's probably most important for someone who has an unhealthy diet, a very processed diet, processed food sort of based diet or high in animal products. But if your diet is super, super clean, knowing that our bodies do naturally detoxify themselves. You know, fasting from a toxin removal point of view, probably a little less important. Yeah, so for, for, for yourself and like for me, fasting is a tool that I will use. Let's say if I have a weekend where I'm traveling and I, you know, go and t- taste a few vegan delicacies and have a, you know, a few pizzas and burgers and beers. things like that. Yeah, a couple of beers. If you sort of go a little bit off the whole food deep end a little bit, then come back and just do some fasting for a couple of couple of days or a couple of weeks just to... And what, what you'll you find mean by that, that is intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, yeah. yeah, like, you know, 16-8 or sometimes I'll do up to 20 hours. You want to define the 16-8? Right, so it's a 16-hour fast followed by an eight-hour eating window. So you can sort of move the, the hours and the times around, but generally it starts from, say, midday, so lunch through to about 8 p.m. at night, and then you don't have anything outside of that window except for maybe you know, water and maybe a herbal tea or, you know, lemon water or this like zero calorie basically options. And you're, there's a number of sort of, as you said, the science is not conclusive, but there's a number of benefits hormonally with, with testosterone production and things like that, which can sort of help you to have energy. So you're not sort of, you're not going to die from hunger. You know, hunger is, is, is going to be at bay for that period. And you're still going to, you're not actually, the goal is not necessarily to restrict what you're eating calorie wise, but that kind of happens as a, as a default because it can be hard to fit sort of 2000 calories in, in that small window. So look, it's a great tool and we both believe in it and we both, we both do it for different reasons. 
But yeah, like I said, let's not spend too much time because we could talk for hours. And and let's be, just wait till the science be, is inclusive. It shouldn't be the sort of foundation of your diet. If I was going to recommend that you looked at something more thoroughly, it would first be looking at the whole food plant-based pyramid, looking at the, the rate, you know, sort of 60% carbohydrates, 20, 25% mm. protein, 15, 10% fat, and making sure that you're across that. That and and you know, regardless of fasting or not, that should be your number one priority. And if you're not bringing a lot of toxins into your body through your diet, then the need for detoxification is diminished. So, you know, don't feel you have to detox constantly if you're eating really, really clean. All right. So now let's move on to our next topic. And we're going to talk a little bit about the social aspects of, of the plant-based diet or being a vegan. Oh, I know. I'm I'm, I'm nervous (laughs) about even discussing this, but it's, it's a sticking point. We need to face up to it. There, there can be some pushback. There can be some, some, some negativity around people. They might get threatened or triggered by... And I get it. Your, I get it. Absolutely. Totally absolutely. Get it. I was the person who was threatened and triggered for a long time. So I, I know. So the question I've got written here is how can you encourage... We'll start with how can you encourage a friend, a parent, a spouse, a colleague, or anyone to, to consider eating more plants without being abrasive and forceful? I think you need to, to channel your passion. And we, we actually spoke about this on the podcast episode with you where we went over your story. But I, I think that, you know, any, any vegan who's trying to encourage someone else to adopt a lifestyle similar to theirs is generally very, very passionate about the vegan lifestyle and what they're doing. And when you are only thinking about the way you live and what you eat and your ethics and you get so caught up in this bubble, you find it hard that anyone can disagree or not see it through the same lens. And you begin to to look at that person, you know, you can begin to look at that person in a different light and you can begin to either resent the way that they're living their life or you can begin to think that it's it's your responsibility to to change their diet to change them and it's not it's not you don't need to be forceful you need to be coming from really a position of compassion and a position of love and you need to be calm calm respectful you need you know there's there's i've heard some people say that when someone's a freshly minted vegan they should be locked up for six months because they're just their own worst enemy and i totally did i totally experienced it you just because you are so passionate about it be be the vegan that be the vegan to that person that you would have wanted to have met right when you were eating meat be be the the voice that you would have wanted to hear you no one wants someone giving them a lecture or talking down to them or you know talking from a position of superiority these that you know that in life push the vegan thing to the side like that's not a a relationship that you want to have with someone so it serves you, nobody it serves nobody so it's like let's just if you push vegan the vegan meat eating thing to the side you you need to be speaking to someone on the same level. You can't be speaking down to them. And you have to be respectful. You have to be reasonable and honor that person's journey. Everyone's so, got their own journey. So that's the top line. That's like, okay, that's that's basically how, regardless of, of who we're talking about here, I think everyone needs to be calm and respectful. 
then I think it comes down to who you're speaking to. Is it your friend, your girlfriend? Is it your mother? Is it your spouse? And understanding their personality, understanding where they currently are on their own health journey. But remember, most people are not born vegan. So we were, we were personally also on the other side and you generally people will sort of go through different stages of being receptive to changing a habit and you need to be able to pick up on that and and those cues and and also this is this is a really complicated topic but also understanding that you may not be the best person to give that to give them the advice and mm. uh, you know for example sometimes sometimes brothers in my circumstance my brother actually did hand me information i took it on board but other brothers they don't want to listen to one another and they mm. might they might be better off receiving advice from someone else so there's there is this is this is going down a really and you also can't assume that like yeah we got it. you also can't assume that they are looking to change they may not be perfectly happy not everyone's looking for some answer and sometimes you can think that oh I want to help this person I want to help this person but they might not want it at all and you know like we were saying earlier some people still choose to smoke cigarettes so there's even only, though they know it's not healthy there's only one thing that you can do for, you know, in, in that situation, which is not going to cause conflict. And I think is the most powerful thing that you can do. And that is to lead by example. Absolutely. To maintain a position of calmness. Do not be annoying. Don't be preachy. Don't be forceful. Lead by example and be really happy and content and, and be, be an example of someone that is living a different lifestyle to them, which they then may look at and go, oh, wow. And that's their choice. Yeah. And then you've let them come to a position of going, hey, what they're doing, maybe, maybe, I, should, maybe I should look into that. Or hang on, even if they're just thinking, oh, look what they're doing. They've opened their mind to something new. Mm. Sometimes I think as, as vegan, vegan people think that, Veganism is the end destination for every single person who is looking for the truth about nutrition, but we, we can't assume that. We cannot assume that. Like we think it is. Of course we think it is. We've, that's where we've ended up. Just because you've ended up there doesn't mean that everyone is going to form the same, you know, it's, it's, it's just really immodest to think that everyone's going to end up coming to the same conclusion as you. You've got to give people their own and chance. The, the other thing when we talk about respect um, is, and health being a spectrum, I think, say, for example, you have a friend who, you know, was 30 kilos overweight and he's moved to a paleo diet and he's lost 20 kilos and, and you meet him out at dinner. Are you talking you, about when you met me? Or, no, no, <laughs> that's pretty much exactly. I'm just saying, you know, anyone in general, right? If your friend has made a health decision and has lost 20 kilos and he's moved from a, a junk food processed diet to a paleo diet, you should be giving him the world of positivity and, he, and, and talking about how good it is that he's cut out processed food and don't, don't be like, oh, but you'd be better if you went mm. vegan and this and that. Cause now you're talking my language. You, you, need to, you need to understand the time and the place and the time and the place sometimes is, well, sometimes it's definitely not the time and the place to be talking even about veganism and just appreciating that someone has made a really positive change in their life mm. and they, they don't need to be 100% vegan overnight and, you know, just, 
just time, time certain discussions. Definitely don't shame them. Like shame within my people. household, like when I first, I when I first went vegan, I just went off the deep end. Like I was just all in, you know. And for my wife, she was a little bit sort of eased into it a bit more, and she would make a really positive change. She'd be like, "Oh, you know, I, I made this little change," and I'd be like, "That's really great, honey." You know, but next time you can do this and it'll be even better. And she once said to me, like, I just feel like I'm never good enough for you because you're just constantly giving me another carrot and I'm just constantly chasing the carrot, you know, and just just dishonor what I've done and yeah. let me do it in my own time, you know. And it's so easy to to be like that with someone because you're so excited and passionate. But, you know, it, that's just it's not the right, the right pathway. It's it's the again, it's the passion coming through where you, you unbridled you, passion. You want that person to feel how you do, and you want them to make all changes at once. But making all changes at once doesn't suit everybody out there. And you know, you need to, need to appreciate that people have their own journey. But just go back to the pillars of calmness, respect, coming from a place of love, being re, just be a reasonable human being, and be a voice that you would have loved to have heard mm. when you were going through your you were going through your paleo phase and you were dead set on the paleo. You don't want to be, you didn't want to hear an annoying vegan come up to mm. you because all that was doing was pushing you, pushing vegans further away from you. And I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. So, and some people may never be ready as we say, and that's fine. That's their choice. But um, it's a golden rule. Do unto others as you would like them to do to you. So, you know, treat people with respect. But what about this situation? What about you've got, Opposition. Let's say you've gone out with a bunch of your mates and you always go to the footy together or you always do something and you know you've just you've just changed to a plant-based lifestyle based on, you know, your own reasons and they've all ordered a, a big table full of schnitzels and you've just meekly ordered the beetroot and kale slaw salad. And one of your your big burly mates says to you, Oh, you know, you know, what is that for the rabbit, is it? Or, you know, oh, that's the, you know, did you you know, you, you cop it. I cop it too. I'm kind of just picturing myself in that. Think, oh, what's for main? Is that your entree? Is it? Yeah, I think. I think generally speaking, it depends on how long you've been eating that way. Personally speaking, I probably had those sorts of comments more so early on. But once mm. you once you're a living example and you are seen to be healthy and thriving, you get those comments less and less and less. But and and also, I will say your response to that in the early stage is very, very important in terms mm. of setting up um, whether you're going to continue to, to, to cop the, that mm. or whether that's just going to dissipate and people will learn to understand that that's just the way you want to fuel yourself and there's nothing wrong with it. I think... So what again, should your response be like? Calm. Calm. I think the first thing is calm. Even if you're inside, you know, your mm. blood is boiling. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. And that's... Usually the, the comments that you're going to get from, from friends, it's a projection of them, you know, they, they are projecting something that they're feeling from within themselves. And if you ta- do take the bait, you're just taking on their energy that you, mm. you don't need to. If you know your path and it's a clear path, you can be the bigger person in that scenario and laugh it off, laugh with them, laugh with mm. them. Whether if you, even if they feel like, Together, you're laughing at you. Disarm them. Yeah, disarm the whole disarm, situation. Disarm them with 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 laughter. If you laugh, that conversation ends. It ends. Mm. It's when you Just go say, back. Look, I'm trying something new. You know, if you go back to them and say, "Yeah, but you, you're, you're, do you your, understand your steak, what you're eating? Your yeah. steak's going to kill you." Like if you go back with that, it's you. 
you're going to be seen as someone who is trying to, to dogmatic, dogmatic. It's you know trying to cause conflict at dinners, and it just creates an undesirable situation. You're much better to to laugh it off, you know. And you got to understand that 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 person is like not, not that person, but everyone's resistant to change and to things that are different. People are afraid of it. If they see something that's so different, like if you've been one person for the last 10, 20 years, then all of a sudden you change. That's like, they, people can be afraid of that. They can be threatened by it. It's nothing personal. It's just like they, they want to they wanna in a way understand it, but they kind of ridicule it just because they're a bit, it's a bit of a change for them. And, and I think a really, a re- something that I did early on, which I think is extremely helpful, is when, if someone does ask you, you know, why are you doing this? Hmm. I personalized my response to say, you know, for, for me and, and for, you know, speaking with you know, my nutritionist and my doctor and, and what I'm doing with my training, mm. trying something new to, to see if my body responds to it better. Mm. And that was different to me saying, hey, I've read this. Well, I read, I read about meat and I read about that and it's, it's killing us or it's causing this cancer and sort of making them making myself feel superior to them in terms of what I was eating. So mm. I, I personalized why I was doing everything early on. Mm. Early on, I really tried hard to make it. It wasn't that my diet was better than theirs. Mm. It was, I'm doing this for me. And I would say there was something else I was just going to add on to that. What, were we, what meal were we talking about there? We're rambling a little bit here. We're, going, <laughs> we're talking about how to handle opposition. Oh, so here, this is what I was going to say. The other the other. Puff, flip side of this situation is that's if you're already at a restaurant. I will say if you're transitioning and your friends are aware and don't don't be super picky with where you're going to go and eat. Mm. Don't don't like if you've been, got six of your great mates and you're always going to eat at these restaurants and all of a sudden you you are going to try and change them and where they want to eat. That can also mm. be or make a scene. It can be a little bit seen like creating a scene so you're, you there's a couple of ways you can handle it usually most restaurants these days you can find something and modify it and get away with it and, you know, and you'll be satisfied you can eat something a little bit before you go yes that's not ideal but in an early stages when you're just trying to prevent conflict and you don't want to be that guy i think it's 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 a really good strategy to look at you don't want to be isolated so that you're not going to these standard dinners that you used to just because you've chosen to eat something different. It shouldn't affect your social life like that and you shouldn't let it. If you can be that really sort of benevolent and um, easygoing and calm guy, like I've had lots of those situations where sort of mates have made had a go at me and ragged them just in good, in, good, in good fun. And then, you know, if you give them a good response, then a lot of times they'll text you later on and go, so come on, tell me, tell me why you will. This. tell me all about it. I've had that many conversations and with people and that's when it's almost like that's when they're ready. They didn't want to ask you in front of all their mates because it's kind of intimidating and, and you know, so they, that they'll ask you behind closed doors and that's when you can do real good, not at the table, you know, shaming somebody or, yeah. or creating a scene. So wait for your opportunity. And, and I think that's important. It may, come, it may not. If it does, be ready. You, the word... The word shaming is important. Like you can have some fun with it when the, it, you don't have to sit there and just cop it. But, and banter, you know, I, I think that's an Aussie slang word, but between the guys, you know, you, people like to, to sort of hang it on, on other guys and that's okay. Have Good some nature. banter, have some banter. Some of your best mates, that's how we, that's how we interact. But, but, but be humorous with it and lighthearted. Don't make mm. it personal. 
and then be flexible with your eating options if you need to. Another good trick is that I, I do and I still do it is if I'm like, okay, there's not much on this menu here that I can really eat. Like most places in Sydney you can now, but say if I was at a restaurant, like a steak restaurant, right? And mm-hmm. they were specifying in steak restaurants. And I've done this. I'm sitting in a steak restaurant and like, why am I here? Well, this was organized by another four of my mates and I wasn't going to say, hey, mm. we can't eat there. So, but what you do, what, what I'll do, stand up, go to the bathroom, on the way to the bathroom, speak to the waiter so you're away from the table or the chef, hey, I don't eat meat. Is there anything that you can do for me? Mm. It's going to be a nice size meal, fill me up. I'll eat anything, potatoes, whatever. Is there anything that you've got at the back? Make me whatever. I'm not fussy at all, mm-hmm. right? Every single time they will go, yep, we'll do it. They're and pretty they, excited about it. <laughs> so they're excited. Well, it's something different. But then when they come over to the table and they take the orders, you're not like, hey, oh, I can't eat this, 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 this. They just come over and they go, okay, we already know what you want. And then they say, what do you want? Mm. What do you want? And then the meal comes out and it's a no fuss. Mm. So another little good strategy. Let's move on. Next question. Right. So. Longevity. We can't spend too much time on this because this. The, speaking of longevity, these podcasts uh, that you and I do, they've got a longevity issue. <laughs> so let's just be really. <laughs> let's just be really quick. So outside of nutrition, we talked a bit about the blue zones. What are a few more things we want to try and put into into the matrix and put into our lives that will help us to live a long, happy, health, healthy life? So I think the blue zones obviously are the populations. There's five populations around the world who have been studied and have the the most number of centenarians who centenarians. centenarians who are living over 100, that is, and thriving. So it would be remiss of us to, to, to think that that is just due to what they're eating. And these populations... That would actually, be reductionist, wouldn't reductionist. it? Reductionist. We it would don't be, really like reductionist no, things. No. So let's, let's look at... We, we look at it from a macro lens and understand that there are a number of other factors or pillars that will contribute to longevity. And some of these, uh, well, there are quite a few that are shared among these zones. And when you think about them, it makes a lot of sense. So we'll go through a few, a, a few more of them. One of those is to have low level exercise, so healthy moving habits. Do you want to, do you want are to they are they lifting huge weights and are they all no. are they all 100 kilo um, lifters? No, so they're, they're, these zones are doing a lot of incidental exercise, and that's essentially in, in layman's terms, they're not lazy. Yeah, they're right? active. They're active. So if in terms of the, you listening and what I do in my life, and I know that you do in your life and is just basic little things. So if your grocery store is 600 meters down the road and you know that you're only going to get sort of, you know, four bags of groceries or whatnot, well, instead of driving your car down and parking right out the front, walk down there and carry them back. That's a blue zone tip. That's a blue zone tip. That's 1.2 kilometers of low level movement that you've added into your daily. And if you're doing that every week, that adds up. So a little bit of movement. That's an excellent topic. Now, let's just briefly, I want to get your answer on this one. We don't want to go too far into this, but the protein balance and the size of these people and how like the food choices that they're making, are they protein? We we listen to podcasts from Volta Longo, et cetera, and they talk about how protein can age you. So 
Are they eating huge amounts of protein? Well, that's the thing. You need to be careful. We, it's a bit like a, a seesaw almost. So it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act. You've got, you've got, um, picture of health to society, to a lot of society is a, a really ripped, strong, muscly guy lifting iron. But in reality, that, that person is not the longest living person in the world by any stretch. And the longest living people in the world are, are not over consuming protein. They're not. Carbohydrates are the main component of where they're getting their energy from. And we and went not giant, big. And they're not lifting iron. <laughs> they're doing low level exercise, right? They don't do dedicated exercise sessions for 45 minutes and then sit down all day. That's, mm. that's not how they... And by no means are we saying that you shouldn't be doing those things and you can do them and it's great to be strong when you're young and fit, but there just needs to be a bit of consciousness around the fact that for every protein gets, gets metabolized on the TOR pathway, which can lead to cellular degradation in the body. And if you're smashing 200 grams of protein every day, that is aging you. So we and need a, to and a, and find from, a balance. And from a physique point of view, we know you know, that adding on a lot of muscle is, is not. Makes everything work harder. The heart's pumping harder. Demanding. It's, it's, it's wear and tear on the body. And that was a big awakening for me because, you know, I, I was leading a lot of protein. I've cut it right back. I've cut it. I've probably cut my protein intake in half because I've just a bit worried about what all this protein's doing to my body. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not deficient. I'm, I'm eating probably a hundred grams of protein a day. I'm a fairly big guy. So maybe there's something to the blue zones when it comes to protein and metabolism in that sense. Certainly. And, and another... There's something to be aware of. Another healthy habit that they have is not over-consuming or overeating. So they're, uh, as mm. a rule of thumb across these populations, they're tending to, to finish eating when their stomach and their hunger or their feeling of fullness is at about 80%. Yep. So they're not overeating to the point of like, Oh, I'm bloated. I've eaten mm, 150%. Much. Yeah, 150%, which is, you know, sort of where just, the Western population is probably at. And there's lots of studies on calorie restriction that have, that have sort of tied into that. And that's being proven true over the course of time as these studies get done. So, and what about community? What about the social aspects of the blue zones, like community, being a part of something, having, having purpose? Having a tribe. And like a, a, a social community, whether that's a faith based, that's absolutely incredible and great. And some of these communities, if, if not most of them, do have a faith based community. But also, if if not, that might mean a, a bridge club, or it might mean a, a being a member of a bowling club, somewhere where you have developed real connections. So not connections through an iPhone, real real connections, real, real connections with people that you have similar values and beliefs. And, and like-minded people, and that is going to enrich your life. And we spoke before about how there's a number of different pillars, but you can combine them all together. So I was saying, let's take golf, for example. If you love golf, you can get your exercise playing golf. You can join up to a golf club and you can play with your friends. You can get your exercise, get your sunshine, get your activity, get your community. You're fulfilling yourself in those things. And then you can have healthy lunch and you've done your nutrition. And it's not like you're having to... We think of all these things. The Blue Zone people weren't ticking off a, a list every morning of, oh, I better make sure I'm conscious today. I better make sure I'm this. That just, it just happened. And that's why they were the Blue Zones is because that was their lifestyle and that's what led to their longevity. So we can really look into some of those tips as well. And so, stress. Let's just quickly, before we move on, 
all of those zones had methods to reduce stress in their life, whether that was from meditating or taking time or mm. one of them had a happy hour. It was dedicated strategies to reduce stress and being happy. And being cognizant of the fact that stress is really traumatic for the body. You know, it's easy to say, oh, let's just not stress, you know, but you need to actually take charge of that and really prioritize. And if you're living a really stressful life, you need to identify what things are in your life that are toxic that are leading to that stress because it actually is a real thing and it can, it can wreak havoc. So in conclusion, we're going to talk about the top resources for learning more because yeah. you know, it's one thing to listen to, you know, Simon and some random plumber from Adelaide, but to get it from the, get it from the source, get it from the horse's mouth. So where, where are we looking? Who are the resources? Who are the authorities? Yeah, so if you're wanting more information on things that we've spoken about or even a wider range of topics, there, there are a number of books, websites, podcasts, doctors on social media that I would recommend. So I'll go through, I'll start off with books and I've got just sitting here in front of me, I've got How Not to Die by Michael Greger. Um, that book has traveled the world with me. Jeremy was making fun of the condition. Uh. Looks like it looks like you've I don't know what you've done with it. <laughs> like, the dog it's in some really it's, really bad shape. It's barely even can read the cover. This, so this book has been you've read it five to, times. You told me been to six continents. This book six continents. That's traveled to more places than me. That, that book's probably got a better social life than I do. <laughs> so there's um, How Not to Die by Michael Greger. That's a deep dive, isn't it? That's yeah. a big book. So the way it's, that the way that, that book's set up and, and who that book's for is the first half of the book is split into common sort of chronic diseases. And it goes through the science and and what types of nutrition may be causing disease and what types of nutrition may be able to or has been shown to reverse or prevent certain diseases. Mm. And then the second half of the How Not to Die book is very practical, goes through the food groups that Michael Greger recommends. Give me a quick review on what kind of researcher Michael Greger is. Is he a legitimate, reliable source? He is He is very, very reliable. He said he's dedicated his life to setting up a non-for-profit website, which is nutritionfacts.org. Yes. And this is a guy, I believe... There's 13,000 new nutrition studies every year that come out. He goes through with his team. He built 90% of those are not at a level which he needs to review just due to the methodology so he can instantly mm. rule those out. And then the remaining 10%, which is 1,300 studies, he reads in details, detail and he does videos up on his website. So that's around, what, four studies every day. He's just a guy who reads the studies and interprets them. And he doesn't try to hide anything. He's very, like, what would you he's call got no it? agenda. He's got no agenda. And his studies, like, you know, people might say, oh, you know, all the things that you guys read are written by vegans, but they're vegan for a reason. It's because they've read the study and it's a good study and they've become a vegan as a result. So we've also got Garth Davis, personal favorite of both of ours. Proteinaholic. Proteinaholic, carbophobia, those sort of things. So if you, if you do want to know specifically about protein, the Proteinaholic by Dr. Uh, Garth Davis is a great one. Then there is plant-based nutrition. By- Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, which is a real great entry-level book. It's by Juliana Haver and Ray Cronice. Ray Cronice, like the biggest man crush in the world on Ray Cronice. I just love that man so much. 
And just, I love their approach. It's, it's so practical. It's so, like I, I read that book regularly. It's, um, you can read it all in the whole, the whole book in a day and you, you, it'll answer every question. And then another really, really, really thorough book, which I think is great for anyone who is following a plant-based diet. And that could be, you might be transitioning or you might've been, you know, four or five years into a plant-based diet is Becoming Vegan by Brenda Davis and Vasanto Molina. That goes through absolutely everything. And there's some amazing information in there in terms of um, blood tests, what to test for, mm. different supplements, everything. So if someone's looking for that really deep scientific, if you're a real analytic person and you want to get down into science, they're the books. But what about if you're a person that's just looking for a little bit of inspiration, maybe some practical help? I know for me, it's kind of things like, I love Rich Roll, Finding, Finding Ultra. Ultra. He's an ultra marathon runner. He's fully plant-based. Also his cookbooks, like the Plant Power Way. Um, there are a number of amazing vegan, vegan chefs and vegan yeah. cookbooks that so were these, just I'd probably Elsa's at, um, Wholesome Life book by Ellie Bullen. And absolutely um, love it. Wicked Healthy by Derek Sano, mm, who I yep. have on the podcast. You've got Bosch, which is another great plant-based book. I've got that one in the kitchen. Oh, God, where else? There's Vegan Eats, which is a book by Smith & Deli down in Melbourne. Vegan Bowls for Vegan Souls. Yeah, Vegan Bowls for Vegan Souls. You've got to get a catalog of them together. Get a bunch of them together. And then if you're ever like, sometimes you're wondering about what to make for dinner, just go and look for your inspiration because there is, and also there's so many social media pages you can follow too that will just give you inspiration for meals. Like just become immersed in search for, you know, what things to eat, why you're eating them. Just become a researcher. Just take charge of your health and own it and, and don't leave things to chance. On social media, I would try and follow a few of the doctors. So um, Nutrition Facts, you can follow Dr. Dr. Gregor and different posts and videos that he puts up daily. Veg underscore MD, that is Dr. Michelle McMacken. She's absolutely amazing. Puts up, you know, great content all the time. PCRM. PCRM. Yep, Neil Barnard. Yeah, which is Neil. And also these names that we're mentioning, these are the people you should be searching for on your podcast as well. So when I'm looking for podcasts, I'm writing in the names of these people and they're not all, not all their podcasts are just, you know, just, just pumping out vegan propaganda. They actually will, will ask the questions. They will, they'll answer your questions, things you've thought of. They've, 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 they've presented from both sides and it's, it's, it's truest truth. Well, man, I think we're. Um, I think we've done it. We've come to twenty questions. We've smashed that out in one hour thirty. So <laughs> we blew the three minute window. <laughs> we need help, buddy. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope everyone has enjoyed the Q and A in the show notes. So there will be a list of all of those resources, and this will become a regular part. Of yeah, I think if we've, we've probably un un unlocked another couple of questions that will come in now, so you know we we'll have to keep them down. And next time you get someone. No, not me. Someone else. <laughs> Get someone to answer the questions. I think I'm all I'm all tapped out. So it's been great, man. Right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it very much. And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.